This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. Welcome back to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. It's great to be with all of you this week and every week, thanks to the generosity of Susan and Gerald Slavitt. We're here in New York City today, recording at Power Station at Berkeley NYC. There is so much history in this studio, and not just in the classical world. Bruce Springsteen, Sting, and Diana Ross have all recorded albums here. This city is truly a Disneyland for young musicians looking to hone their artistry at places like my alma mater, the Juilliard School, or across the street, Special Music School in the Kaufman Music Center, and the very famous LaGuardia High School for the Performing Arts. Our next young musician, 17-year-old percussionist Daniel Perez Ponce, is one of these lucky students who gets to attend LaGuardia. He's here with me now, and he's about to perform the second movement of Gordon Stout's Two Mexican Dances.
Daniel Perez Ponce, 17 years old, performing on the marimba for us, the second movement of Gordon Stout's Two Mexican Dances. For our listeners who can't see it, describe the workings of this beautiful thing. So there's bars on it, and there's also resonators under the bars. And the bars are made of... I think rosewood. Rosewood. Yeah. And those resonators are metallic? Yeah. And what about the mallets? There's many different types of mallets, like the ones I use, they're for vibraphone, since I've never really had any actual mallets for marimba. I know that for marimba, you mostly use birch as the handle for the mallet, and for vibraphone, it's rattan, so that you could dampen notes on the vibraphone. Oh, I see. And this piece was a four mallet piece? Yeah, four mallet. How does it work navigating two mallets per hand? Because, I mean, the space between them is constantly changing. Mm -hmm. So... For me, it took a lot of effort because I started off with the burn grip. My teacher wanted me to use Steven's grip. And for me, it felt weaker on my hands than with the burn grip. Okay, I'm a newbie. Tell me what's burn grip, what's Steven's grip? So the Steven's grip, you have one mallet on your pinky and the finger next to the pinky. The ring finger. The ring finger, yeah. And you hold another mallet like in the middle of your hand and you wrap uh, your other three fingers around it. With the burn grip, it's basically just cross grip, but one of the mallets, it's under the other one. So the sticks actually cross. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about where you live in the city and who you live with. So I live in Brooklyn with my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. My brother recently went off to college. That's great. So how did you find your way to the marimba? In elementary, I found my way to a program called the Afro-Latin Jazz for Kids. Okay. And I started on drums. Nice. And in middle school, I found out about mallet percussion because my brother introduced me to this saxophone concerto, Saramouche. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. And I wanted to play it on xylophone because there was a xylophone there. Right. So yeah. at that point, you hadn't played any pitched percussion instrument. No. Had you been reading music before yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to teach myself how to read notes in sixth grade. The teacher started me on glockenspiel. Oh, notes. nice. Yeah. And then did you continue your studies privately after um, you started? I didn't get a private teacher until I was in my junior year of high school. Whoa. So yeah. and now you're a senior? Yeah, senior. So just last year is when you started private lessons. Yeah. Wow. Daniel, that's incredible. Yeah. Because you sound so polished. Mm -hmm. Where did you go for private lessons? Bloomingdale School of Music. So you've got an enormous instrument there. You can't exactly cart that around on the subways. I usually get most of my practice sessions done at LaGuardia during my lunch periods and my free periods. That's the kind of commitment that it takes sometimes. Talk to me a little bit about life at LaGuardia. What's the culture like there in general for a classical musician and specifically for a percussionist? The basement is where most of the musicians reside in. Okay. Yeah, so I see people just talking about music and stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's just like this part of the hallway where it's just like vibraphones and marimbas just like out in the hallway. So do people just jam in the hallway? Yeah. Wow. You know, I went to high school with, there are very few musicians at my school. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it was hard for me to feel like I really fit in. Yeah. At LaGuardia, it must be sort of validating Mm -hmm. to feel like, oh yeah, there are a lot of people like me. Yeah. Daniel, you're one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. We're so happy to be supporting you and supporting your career. Yeah. What do you plan to do with the funds? I'm going to buy a marimba. (laughs) I like it. I'm going to buy a marimba. (laughs) Great. Mm-hmm. Thanks for letting me in on some of the secrets of marimba <laughs> playing. I loved your performance. Thank you. Daniel, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me on. Daniel Perez Ponce, 17 years old, from Brooklyn, New York. Joining me now is Ellie Fadley Solars. 
13 years old. She's got her cello ready. I'm Peter Dugan, and I'll join her at the piano for a performance of Poema 3 by Marlos Nobre.
You heard 13-year-old cellist Ellie Fadley Solars from New York City perform Poema 3 by the Brazilian composer Marlos Nobre. I'm Peter Dugan, and I was at the piano. Ellie Fadley Solars, you are 13 years old. Yes. And you play that mm-hmm. with so much passion. Thank you. Tell me about that instrument of yours because it sounds gorgeous, but I can tell looking at it, that is not a full-size cello. No, that cello is a three-quarter cello that's mm. made by Frank Reviton, and this cello was actually made for me, which is really special and that's amazing. I feel really very special. honored. Not too many 13-year-olds get to yes. say that. Her name is Frankie. The cello's name is Frankie. How did you come about having an instrument custom built for you, Ellie? Because, well, my mom was searching everywhere for a three-quarter. My mom showed me a video of this one player. I don't remember his name, but he had this beautiful cello and his sound was so amazing and it just mm-hmm. like really stuck to me. And I, and I told my mom that I was like, that's the sound I want to have when I play. Mm. And she was like, yeah, I wish you could have that cello. <laughs> so my mom like chatted to him and said, well, who made your cello? And then he said, Frank Raviton. So my mom emailed him and asked if I could have a cello made for me, like a three-quarter. And then he was like, no, absolutely not. Because he doesn't make three-quarters. No, he, he does not make three-quarters. Yeah, only I, I'm sorry, I don't do three-quarters. I don't do three-quarters. So then what happened? My mom then emailed him my Bach and some other A recording pieces. of you playing yes. Bach? Yeah, okay. and he was like, yes, I will make her a cello. <gasps> So, so you changed his mind. Yeah. He made an exception for you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so special and honored. <laughs> and so then a year and a half goes by. And then I go to France and I get this amazing, beautiful baby cello that uh-huh. fits me perfectly. Uh-huh. And I named Frankie mm. after him because his name is Frank. So after the maker. Mm. That's so nice. And it has my name in it. it your name is actually inscribed inside? Wow. <laughs> really cool. If Frankie, the cello... Mm were a person, how would you describe Frankie? Um, Very warm and loving and caring and maybe sometimes very emotional. Like mm-hmm. I feel like if Frankie were a person, she could be very moody. <laughs> but I feel like she would be a very, very kind person. Yeah, I love that. I hear the kindness in your sound when you play Frankie. Thank you. I'm not just saying this to make you sad, but have you thought about what happens when you grow bigger and it's time for... <laughs> no. Don't want to go there? Don't want to go there? Let me ask it to you this way. Does it bring you joy to think about Frankie becoming a voice for another Ellie-sized person yes. someday? Because actually, once I grow out of Frankie, the maker is going to take back his baby cello okay. and then give it, well, loans it to somebody that's like me, uh-huh. like a very small, talented cellist. That's what he said, at least. And <laughs> I mean, I think that's pretty awesome. I do, too. I will be really sad to let her go, but another cellist will be very grateful to have her. I hear you have a gecko. I do have a gecko. Does your gecko play the cello? No. I do get little mini things for her. Like, you do? Yeah. Like, I have a little mini skateboard. Like, I've put on a little mini motorcycle. What's your <laughs> I mean, mini- she... I mean... <laughs> It's not like I'm like hurting her or anything. She's completely fine. No, she, she likes to ride a motorcycle. She, lo- I she get loves it. to ride the motorcycle. Yeah. You're, <laughs> what's your gecko's name? Um, Autumn. Autumn's kind of a biker chick. I yeah. get it. <laughs> um, but for real, why a gecko? Is a gecko make a great pet? Can you make the case for why everyone should get a pet gecko? 
Well, I know some people think that reptiles are grody or strange or <laughs> gross. Um, like my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> Your mom's not a fan? No. Um, since I was little, I've always been fascinated with reptiles, and I really like to study them. And I'm interested in herpetology. I mean, obviously, more. I think it's really fascinating. Snakes are my favorite animal, but yeah. my mom won't let me get a pet snake because she doesn't want dead frozen mice in our freezer. Like, I only have to boil them. Mom, it's just a few dead mice. I only have to boil them. <laughs> no, I bet you get, like, diseases from that. Yeah, I was, I'm, Ellie, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> Please don't suggest that to your mother. Speaking of your mother, you come from a musical family, right? Yes, I what, do. What's that like? It's really special to have been hearing music my entire life since I, like, developed ears in the womb. Mm-hmm. I bet when she was pregnant with me, I bet some kid was playing Vivaldi or something. Right, because she's a, <laughs> she's a violin, violin teacher. teacher, has a very successful studio here in New York. As if playing the cello the way you do isn't enough, how else do you spend your time, Ellie? Ballet. Ballet. I love ballet. Tell me about your background in ballet and your dedication to that and how you managed to balance that with cello. I've been doing ballet since I was very, very little. Mm-hmm. And um, it just really stuck with me. Like, my mom thought that I would quit eventually. I just never got tired of it. And I, I love dancing. It's another way of, like, expressing myself. Mm-hmm. And it's another art. It's so much fun to go to ballet. I wonder if there's a moment that you can recall when that crossover between the two art forms clicked for you. Hmm. Well, they have so much in common because the musicality of cello helps ballet. And in ballet class, the athleticism really goes into my cello playing. Mm-hmm. And when I'm playing sometimes, I think about somebody like doing a big soda shot or something. A big what? Soda shot. What's a soda shot? She's getting up. Here we go. And for our radio listeners, I will describe to you, Ellie is up and about now. I think I'm about to get a little ballet demonstration. Here she goes. She's leaping. Wow. She literally has just leapt across the studio here. I'm not used and to doing it in a dress. No, that was incredibly graceful. Like, um, now I know what you're referring to. I've seen ballet dancers do that, and I never, I didn't know the term for it. Thank you for the demonstration. Tell me about what practice is like for you. A little grimace. (laughs) Um, practicing is not my favorite. I mostly just practice so that I can perform. I just kind of don't enjoy practicing, but (laughs) I kind of just get through it and I do it really slow. I do lots of intonation to make sure everything's in tune. I really need to work on my bow changes smooth and I do a lot of exercises Mm -hmm. when I'm practicing. So I'll do like 30 minutes of exercises and then I do all the scales. You do all the scales? Yeah. Every day? Um, Not every day. Sometimes I get tired and I just do like half of them. Oh, oh, half of them. Yeah. Wow. So that takes a lot of dedication, a lot of discipline for a 13-year-old. What would you say to younger kids listening to you right now who maybe want to follow in your footsteps? I feel so honored and, like, flustered that maybe there are some little cellists out there that love music. Mm -hmm. And that just makes me so happy. Is there anything that you would caution them about? Definitely don't get frustrated with yourself because I know 
that when you're practicing, you can get really down about yourself. You will get better. You will. Practice makes progress, which hey, makes more now. perfect. I mean, nothing is perfect, but it makes, makes more perfecter. Progress. Yeah. Perfecter. <laughs> more, more perfecter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ellie, you're a ray of sunshine. I hope you and I get to play music together again sometime. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. And also, thank you, Frankie. Yes. Your cello. And please say hi to Autumn the Gecko for me. I will. Ellie Fadley Solars, 13 years old from New York City. Our next young New Yorker is 16-year-old pianist Jesse Hubbs from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Jesse, what piece are you going to perform for us today? Thank you so much. I will be performing Schubert's Impromptu, Opus 90, Number 3, in G-flat major. I'm so looking forward to this performance. The piano is yours. Why don't you take it from the top?
you heard 16-year-old pianist Jesse Hubbs from New York City perform Schubert's Impromptu Opus 90 Number no. 3 in G-flat major. Jesse, it feels like a prayer to hear you play that Schubert Impromptu. I have loved that piece since I was your age. I've played it many times. I learned something new about it today listening to you play it. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's so deep. This piece means so much to me. It symbolizes Schubert reflecting upon his life through joy, through happiness, through suffering. What have you discovered specifically about his life that you try to capture in this music? Schubert was fond of many people. He had many lovers. He had a very difficult life, but I think him finding joy through his suffering is very meaningful to me. I find this piece to be a reflection of his past. Looking at such a difficult life with an appreciative mindset conveyed mm. through music. And that's what I was hearing. The way you capture struggle and angst and pain. The sweetness then, when you return to those sweet moments, becomes that much more soothing. Thank um, you. Now, to get specific, there were some things you brought out in your left hand some moments that just got hauntingly bassy. You, the way you can flip a switch from serene to ferocious. I want to go home right now and practice this piece and see if I can emulate some of the qualities you brought to it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that for you, this piece is very philosophical. What other inspirations do you bring into musical interpretations? I enjoy playing chess strategy games, um, bringing a sense of strategy into my practices, into how I plan to perform a piece, trying to create something that's very coherent. Mm -hmm. When I play this piece, I think about a serene landscape, especially in the beginning and the end. The middle is almost frantic. I feel a sense of anxiety, a sense of tension. I really admire how Schubert can transform this serene piece into something so intense in the middle section. Yeah. You talked about landscape. And for Schubert and a lot of those folks at the cusp of the German Romantic movement, nature specifically is huge. I think with his life and with nature, there cannot be true happiness without a sense of struggling to counteract or be a juxtaposition to that joy. When I play music, I try to convey what the composer had in mind. Like with dynamics, with tempo markings, they make it clear um, what they had in mind. But with Schubert, I think it's a bit more open-ended. So mm -hmm. a lot of it comes to interpretation. And since there are some sections that repeat, I like to bring out as much contrast as possible. Mm -hmm. I think exploring that is how I can put my personality into the music. I think with this piece, there is a great sense of longing for something. If there had to be one word to sum up Schubert <laughs> and his whole aesthetic, it would probably be longing or searching, or in German, Sehnsucht, right? This striving for something. I'm so glad you mentioned that word. You're capturing the spirit of this music. Fill in some biographical info for me, because everyone today is from the greater New York area. Did you always live in New York City? I used to live in Long Beach, about an hour and a half 
from New York City by train. But now you're living in Manhattan, mm-hmm. right? I moved to Manhattan in August of 2022. So suburban childhood, all the way up till 15 years old. Now, boom, you're living in Manhattan, especially for someone who's a young musician. What did that change feel like? So it's really inspiring to me, especially being around classical music all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been around this area on the weekends because this is my fifth year at Juilliard Pre-College. You, my friend, are really in the heart of that classical music universe. I mean, you're at the nexus of it. I happen to know that around the time that you moved, you started studying with the incredible pianist Orly Shaham, a good friend of ours at From the Top. She's a recurring guest hosts. I'll let you in on a secret here. She has become such a fan of yours and has spoken so much about how you've grown and blossomed as a musician. I just thought you should know that because it's a big deal. You're finding your voice and we're getting to hear that. One final question for you. Does music have any role in the way that you approach the world or in the way you want the world to be? I believe it's something that brings people together unlike any other discipline. I think music can be used to build a sense of community, to build a sense of a common love for something. I also think music can be a learning tool to understand life perspectives and to understand people's ideas and thoughts about the world. Mm -hmm. Music should be something that everyone has the opportunity to experience. I think it is one of the most potent and powerful ways of storytelling and messaging that we have. I heard the person that you are come out as you perform. It's so clear to me that you appreciate the gift of music and share the gift generously. Thank you. Jesse, I so enjoyed our time together. Thank you for being with us. It was great to be here. Thank you so much. Jesse Hubs, 16 years old from New York, New York. Well, this is the end of our show, but we certainly haven't come to the end of anything today. This is clearly just the beginning of so much joy and beauty, the insight, energy, and excitement these young musicians are bringing into the world of classical music. Makes me feel so optimistic. I'm pianist Peter Dugan, host of From the Top, and I want to thank our amazing young musicians for all they've shared with us today. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for pulling up a chair, staying in the car even though you may have already reached your destination, or popping in your AirPods on your daily walk just so that you don't miss our show. And thank you to this great city of New York for bringing us all together today. Today's episode of From the Top was recorded at the Power Station at Berkeley, NYC. Engineer is Neil Shaw. From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Abigail Desser. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar, with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from the station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From BritBox, with the goal of helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original series Archie, The Man Who Became Cary Grant, streaming at BritBox.com NPR. 
and from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation at rwjf.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns & Foster. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted for irresistible comfort, with indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for your most comfortable sleep. Learn more at stearnsandfoster.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines understands the support small businesses need. Knowing that no business is the same, knowing that we're all impacted by things that are beyond our control, like catastrophes, and hearing and listening and understanding what's important to a business owner, understanding how much is truly affordable and what makes sense at that moment. Because a three-year psychiatrist is going to be very different than a 20-year doctor. And a two-year sign owner is going to be very different than a one-month restaurant owner who's just trying to figure out what's going to be on the menu next month. Those are the things that I think are extremely important that come to my experience as a small business owner. It's me figuring out how to help the people that I live with, how to help the people that I work with, how to help the people that I volunteer with. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.